Okay, no run. <laughs> Tom Danessa's country, unscripted. That's right. Episode three. This is epi- episode three of our podcast. Are you still happy with the podcast title? Yeah. Okay. My hope and intention is that as we continue to evolve as podcasters, that we'll have something a little more professional <laughs> as an introduction. But for now, no music, no nothing fancy. Nope. Just you and I with this microphone in front of us. Well, and I will say that some podcasts just go on and on <laughs> and on with show sponsors and stuff too. So maybe some people will like the idea that we just get right to it. Yep. No sponsors yet. No. <laughs> no. Okay, so is there anything that you want to talk about? Well, we have Gidget on our new, on another training schedule, so you could probably talk about that because we do have a specific time limit to get this recorded and wrapped up before we have to take her out of her playpen. Okay, so I'll talk a little bit about that and then I'll ping pong it back to you how about that okay okay so i've read countless articles on the internet about training and raising and uh specifically potty training a puppy and now that we've had gidget for about three and a half weeks i think i've come up with the ideal schedule for her uh based off of kind of our observation of her now that we've had her And so um, it comes from, let me pull it up really quick. It was called, or it is called the Puppy Academy. They have courses and blogs and resources and what have you, but they had a sample puppy potty schedule for a three-month-old puppy, and we decided we were going to implement it today. We've been kind of loosely following something similar, I would say, but this is a little bit more of a solid routine. And so far, we're uh, three hours in, and it's going well. (laughs) But anyways, it works on a 90-minute cycle, and it says it's for a three-month-old puppy, and Gidget is 14 weeks. Um, I don't know what you do with a puppy that's younger, but basically, it's a 90-minute cycle where they would go out and go potty, come in and play for 30 minutes, then go in their playpen or their crate for an hour, and then they would then you'd start that cycle again. So then you would take them back outside. They would come in and play for 30 minutes, go in their crate for an hour, and then you just repeat that throughout the day. You build in uh, meals as well. And then as they get older, that playtime, that 30-minute playtime just gets greater. And we're using a playpen, which is a 36 by 36 square playpen. It's not covered. And um, she took to her playpen right away and Mm -hmm. in fact sleeps has slept through the night in it from the second week we've had her so some dogs don't do well in crates we tried to do an actual crate with the door an enclosed crate with the door with our first dog and it did not go very well she he just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried but at any rate Gidget took to her playpen really quickly and so this is what we've implemented and that allows Tom and I to actually get some work done yeah (laughs) because it was getting pretty difficult. She was needing, um, we were giving, I think we were giving her too much free reign in the house. She wasn't necessarily having a ton of accident, accidents. Yes, she was having accidents, but not overwhelmingly. Um, I felt like we were helicopter parents because we were yes. constantly standing over her. And 
I found myself holding onto my laptop, standing wherever she happened to go. Uh, so that wasn't real effective, at least for us to be able to get anything done, because we constantly had one eye on her and one eye on whatever we were trying to get done. So this is better for us, too, I think, to actually have a schedule where we know she's, at least for now, we're going to be in her playpen, and we can use that to record a podcast or write a blog post or work out or whatever. Yeah, so uh, I just have been using the timer on my phone, and we're giving her a 45-minute playtime because she is 14 weeks, and that seems to be about right for her. So that's what we're doing, and so if you have a puppy, uh, we'll keep you posted on how it works. And if puppies aren't your thing, that's okay because uh, we have 12 chickens coming. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) Or baby chicks, I should say, on Saturday. Yeah, well... So that's a whole other new world for us to explore. I'm sure there's going to be at least a few people who are listening who have had chickens and have experience with it. We're always interested in hearing other people's perspectives. So we're getting the chicks on Saturday. Of course, they are chicks. They're not full-size chickens. So they're going to be in our garage for the first six weeks while they're growing up in a brooder. And uh, we're also going to be, I think Vanessa might have even mentioned it, maybe one of the first couple of podcasts, but we'll be uh, working on a a chicken coop and chicken run, uh, basically remodeling one of the Girl Scout bathrooms that are on our property from when this used to be a Girl Scout camp. So I'm sure Vanessa will be sharing some of that on, uh, well, I say Vanessa sharing that because she's good at writing uh, the blog posts and getting good photography of any of our projects, but we're obviously working on it together. So anyway, uh, they're coming on Saturday. We'll have six weeks to get all this construction done so they have a place to live when they're full grown and uh, should be interesting. Yeah. So we got a puppy and 12 12 (laughs) 12 chicks. chicks. That's going to live in our garage. Uh, so a little bit about the chicks. It's a good thing you're not pregnant. Oh my gosh! Baby too. Oh, no, I'm in menopause. No, no pregnancy. Yep. <laughs> uh, okay, so a little bit about the chicks. We live in western Wisconsin, and we experience, you know, can experience very cold and harsh winters. Although we do have four seasons, right? So right now we're in spring, even though we got a snowstorm uh, less than a week ago. Yep. It went from one day it was 80 degrees and three or four days later it snowed and now the snow's melted, it's sunny. We're in the mid, I don't know, 40s, I think. But at any rate, so when I was looking at chicks and wanting to get chickens, because Tom will tell you that this was all my idea. However, I think he's going to enjoy them and then, you know, probably probably take some credit. Well, I, I can't not actually enjoy it once it's done but yes it's definitely 100% your your thing when I started researching chicks it was like negative 13 degrees outside or something crazy like that super cold so I knew that we needed to get chicks that were going to be really cold weather or winter hardy so that was kind of like my first criteria they had to be able to withstand some pretty cold temperatures in the winter of course they're going to have um a coop and run, the run is gonna be covered, but they will have access to the outdoor in the winters and then their coop would be covered. It's not gonna be um, heated per se, it would be insulated and then there'll be some heating elements in there, but we're not we're not gonna run heat in it. 
And then the second thing um, is I wanted to make sure that the chicks that we select or the breeds of chickens that we selected, um, that they didn't have a, a tendency to be broody. Broody chicks want to sit on their eggs and hatch them. And we're not having any roosters. We're only having hens. And so we want low broody or, the you know, we want a lower broody um, bird. And then based on that, then I just started researching breeds that were going to be family friendly, kid friendly, while while we're hoping that we get beautiful eggs to enjoy. That's one of the reasons why we want to raise them. We also um, want them to be more pet-like, so to speak, obviously with our grandson and um, with us. So the breeds that we selected are Americana, Oliveager, Rhode Island Red, Speckled Sussex, let's see, Fat Sapphire Gem, and then we had to do one crazy looking one and that's the Silver Laced Polish. So those are the breeds and I just talked to the feed store where we're getting them from earlier just to kind of walk through the timeline. When I uh, placed our order for them, they said there's kind of like a 24, 48 hour window where they will call you and tell you your chicks are here and they're ready to go home. And so I needed I needed to nail down that timing a little bit more of it. So I just talked to the gal at the feed store and we'll pick them up on Saturday morning. And yeah, then our chick adventure uh, will have started. Yep. We have a lot going on this spring. Yeah. Right. So Saturday I'm gonna there's the the there's a the heck the plant place. <laughs> what is it called? The nursery. The nursery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I should know that since we're talking about babies, the nursery. The nursery. The nursery uh, has a bear root sale so on Saturday, so I'm going to run over there, okay, pick so up some trees for to For those plant. that don't know, because to be honest, I didn't know what bear root meant a, a year ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what is a bear root sale? So these are, these are trees that are still in dormancy, so they're when you pick them up, they don't have a big ball of dirt wrapped around them the way that... A lot of times you will at a greenhouse, order them from a greenhouse or if you order online. So these are bare root trees, meaning when you pick them up, it's just the tree and the root. And so you want to get them into the ground quickly. You usually plant them right when, right after the, the frost thaws in the northern climates. I don't know if you live in the south, if, if you even do bare root trees down there, if that makes sense or not. But up here you do before they come out of dormancy. You get them planted, and then um, they they typically will take really well compared to putting uh, a tree that has dirt surrounding the root system. Sometimes it'll take a year or so before that acclimates to uh, the ground and starts growing. So anyway, and and they're far less expensive too. It's it's a lot more affordable way to get trees and uh, seedlings and so on. So that's what I'm doing. The other thing about bare root trees, though, is that they're they're young trees. Yes. So they're very small. Yep. And last, <clears throat> excuse me, last uh, last spring, early summer, how many bare root trees did you plant? Um, along with, so yeah. um, we had kind of a little planting party, Tom and then his dad and my dad, and then our grandson, Asher, and his other great-grandfather, they all went out and planted trees last spring. Yeah, I mean, that's just part of this learning experience that we hope to bring you along (laughs) with as we continue to live in the country. I had ordered about 100 of these spare root trees, and in my head, I was like, wow, this is going to be like a 
one or two day project i'm gonna need a lot of help and <laughs> they're tiny you basically is stick a spade in the ground split the ground open put the tree in push the ground back and you're done and so uh, i didn't know that so i thought wow this is a really big project so i asked a lot of our family to come and help with it this year we ordered another hundred from uh, st croix county which is the county that we live in and I should be able to handle those myself, or maybe I'll ask for help from one other person. So we're getting some very small bear trees from the county. I'm also going to stop over at the nursery and see what they have to choose. Uh, we, we want at least one nice tree to plant over Gizmo's burial spot, our previous dog that we just buried this past week. So uh, anyway, that's that's the bear story. Mm-hmm. And the other thing with bare root trees that we've learned, and I think we kind of knew this too, is that they, they tell you when, when you order them or when you buy them or you start researching them that not all bare roots survive. Well, you can, you can count on, I don't know what the percentage is, maybe yeah. you know, you know, maybe 75% of them actually make it through that first season and then the other 25% die. And sometimes... It's like they're looking good, looking good, looking good, and then overnight they're like, oh, and it's dead. Yeah. Which, you know, when they are significantly less expensive than a more mature tree, you don't feel as bad about it. We planted um, some moogle pines, right? The moogle pines? Yep. Two really nice moogle pines closer to our house and not necessarily out in the woods that we can see from the house. And they are supposed to be... Uh, deer resistant and at some point during the winter when the food is really really scarce and we do feed our deer as well they will even stuff they don't like they will start to mm -hmm. eat and they really snacked on those moogle pines yeah. and even red cedar trees which they are not supposed to like either they started munching on those which tells you that they're we just had so much snow this winter that they just couldn't even scratch the ground to find anything to eat so we're gonna to have to do a little first aid on some of these trees yep. and maybe keep up with spraying them with some repellent yep. next winter. But yep. as we talk about trees, uh, one of the things that we learned when we first moved to the country about living in the woods is there are um, trees that are, that are uh, invasive. <laughs> Uh, and I'm specifically talking about buckthorn. So that's a, actually a blog post that I want Tom to work on. We knew nothing about buckthorn when we moved here. And then we realized that our woods um, is full of buckthorn. It's very common where we live. And if it's, if it's allowed to um, basically take over your woods, it kind of depletes the soil of the nutrients that the, tree, the other trees need and um, they start to die off. So that has been an ongoing project for Tom since we moved here is to just go out in the woods every day. At the end of the work day, go out for an hour or two and just work on taking out buckthorn. And it, it, it'll be ongoing for the, oh, yeah. the rest of our time um, living here. However, in just one season, what, what we've already noticed is that our existing trees like our oaks and some of the other hardwoods out there they're much healthier and and we're getting more wildlife and, yep. and stuff like that so maybe Tom will write a blog post about that and we can talk about it um, and there's in other, a little more depth yeah and as I've learned about <clears throat> buckthorn there's other invasive species that have taken over forests in other parts of the country 
this one happens to be like in the in Minnesota and Wisconsin. It's real prevalent. I don't know if if there are other states. If you see it, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, but it's really common here, and it was brought over from England as a shrub. People used it in the cities to just create kind of a privacy screen around their homes. The birds would eat the berries from the buckthorn, fly out to the country, poop, and uh, and it started to spread all over the place. So that's kind of the where it where it came from. It it wasn't even part of the uh, part of the plant system or ecosystem in the united states it came from abroad and uh, mm. is now invasive here oh it came from abroad i was like abroad <laughs> like to abroad a, a broad it, it came from bird poop it came from across the yes. pond so that is why we are planting we live in the woods and we have a ton of trees however tom is working really hard all the time at um, removing the buckthorn. When you remove the buckthorn, in when they're you know in the summertime when they're fully leaved, they're actually a, it's pretty. I mean, they have tons of green leaves. Like Tom said, they have berries. They are they are pretty trees. However, you know they're just not that you don't you don't want them if you want your woods to be healthy. So as he removes them, we lose some of our privacy. And so as he takes them these buck the buckthorn out, he's trying to plant more in its place so that we can continue to work on our woods and just be this beautiful. Tom wants it to be like a like a state park or something here. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> when we're if we do this podcast for the foreseeable future once a week by episode 1000 <laughs> we'll be, which would be in uh, I think that's in 20 years we'll be able to talk about how much thicker our woods are with fully grown trees that we're planting today because it'll take about 20 years for them to grow up yeah all right so let's switch gears um i don't know how we transition from talking about woods to talking about you but last week or i shouldn't say last week on our last podcast um tom talked a little bit about his uh new book that he recently wrote and published you can get it on amazon the three pillars of vigor i um read i think it's in the preface of the book but uh, right. The preface of the yep. book, um, he talks about kind of why he's writing this book. And the reason why Tom wrote the book was because uh, last summer in July, at the end of July of 2022, Tom um, and I and Asher were mountain biking and Tom fell off his bike and broke his neck. He also broke his hand and sustained a spinal cord injury. And <clears throat> he's, uh, I would say, about 80 percent recovered. Would you would you say yeah. that's a fair estimate? Um. Strength wise, eighty percent in the areas that were affected. Okay. I mean, our, as far as our life goes, it's yes. pretty much back to normal. <clears throat> and and I apologize, I keep needing to clear my throat. <clears throat> There's probably a reason for that. Don't know. Anyways, <clears throat> so uh, now I lost my train of thought. It'll come back to me. Yes. Okay. So he he in the preface of his book, he 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 started by talking about about the mountain biking accident and and in this recovery period he started writing a book about his recovery to help and inspire others but kept referring to you know this idea of these three pillars of fitness and how when you're strong in these areas you can bounce back you have more resilience you can bounce back from injuries and what have you so with that being said, I wanted to talk a little bit about 
and let's see if I can do it without getting choked up about, um, yeah, let's go back to July 30th, <laughs> 2022. We can talk through kind of the first, um, you know, the little bit of your mountain backing accident and what you've, what, you know, what that all entailed. I, um, as of yesterday, I put up a blog post on Tom and Vanessa's country, which was just the first seven days um, from the time of the accident until, yeah, the first seven days or the first week. And um, what I plan to do and what I am working on is it won't be, you know, that first week I was writing and journaling and and sharing kind of what was going on with you Mm -hmm. every day. But as time wore on, I wasn't, it wasn't every day. So at any rate, um, I I don't know how you want to do this back and forth. If if you want me to tell this story from my perspective, or maybe you, you share your perspective first and then I'll I'll tune in. (laughs) Um, I will say that it was, um, hmm, I'm getting choked up as I revisited, um, as I revisited it, not that I have forgotten about it at all. Um, well, I think when you're when you're reading what you had posted, you put yourself back in that moment. Yeah, too. And so I, it's and, different and, than just remembering. And it wasn't it. a sad. It's not sad. That's not why I'm yeah. I'm teary eyed. It's just um, what what I said to Tom. You know, during the very early stages of recovery, and you know that we we don't ever want to lose sight of. Um, the blessing that God gave us in in Tom's recovery, in the fact that he wasn't a quadriplegic, the fact that he didn't die and that he's still alive. And I remember thinking when, you know, in the very early stages when we, we weren't sure about how, how things were going to unfold and how Tom's recovery was going to go, like, oh my gosh, I might have to be the one out in the woods removing Buckthorn, you know what I mean? Like... So with that being said, yeah, uh, we'll just we'll just see how this unfolds because this is unscripted after all. It, it is. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I mean, just going back to the, you know, what happened, uh, Vanessa and Asher and I were going mountain biking in Woodbury, Minnesota at a, a park called Carver Lake or a trail system called Carver Lake. And uh, we liked that one, especially on the days when we were bringing Asher back to his great grandparents. Uh, because it was it's kind of on the way so it was a beautiful summer day sunny clear sky and uh the way that we ride is Vanessa goes first Asher's in the middle and then I'm always in the back in the event that either one of them crash then I can I can help out so uh we're about halfway through our ride and well and and so the reason why we ride that way is Tom obviously is stronger more athletic yada 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 but asher this was asher's first season of mountain biking he he other than right he he obviously knew how to ride a bike and he rode rode his bike on the road but we introduced him to mountain biking last summer right and part part of the reason we did that one is we knew he would really like it because he loves downhill skiing too it was a way to basically keep his legs athletically conditioned for skiing Mm -hmm. in, in the winter and we live really, really close to a state park in Wisconsin that has, I don't know how many miles, but it continues to grow, many miles of mountain biking trails. And, you know, we can be there in seven minutes, yep. 
maybe 15 because we got to load the bikes up on the rack yep. and what have you. But so it's a place for us to go and bike with him. And as, as he mastered the trails there, we started looking for other trails that were in our area. And so we started mountain biking probably in, I don't remember, May last right. year. So we'd been biking for a while. Um, so Asher's new to biking and I'm not necessarily brand new to mountain biking. Tom and I enjoyed that early on in our marriage, but we had not mountain biked together for well over a decade. And so putting me in front, I get to set the pace. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If we put Azure in front or Tom in front, I'd be far behind because, you know, these guys like to go a little faster than I do and what have you. So that's how we, that's how we were mountain biking. So yes. So I was first Asher was in the middle yeah. and Tom was behind. And that's how we ski too. Vanessa always goes first. Um, not then, anymore. Uh, our first season, well, of, our first season of skiing I, was I like still, that. I still hang back most times just yeah. in case one of them fall, especially yeah. at Asher. Then we know that he's between us. But any, anyway, yeah, so that's how we were riding. And, and Carver Lake has a number of features. So those are, they could be rock beds, they could be bridges, they could be jumps that you go over. And some of them are, yeah, and some of them are are man made features that they put on the trail. Others are just natural, like a root from a tree that's coming to the surface. They don't cover that up because then you can, you know, go over it on your bike. And Asher does not avoid any of the, any of the, you know, rocks or jumps or anything yeah. like that. He's a little boy on his bike. And, you know, if he can go over it, he goes over it. Right. Whereas I, um, sometimes I go over it, <laughs> but often I just go around it. <laughs> so we were about halfway through and, and cl- uh, climbing up a, a short hill. And then at kind of at the top of that hill, there was on the right side, a rock bed that you could go over. And then on the left side, a skinny bridge. And then you could, of course, just avoid both of them and just stay on the trail. And I was right behind Asher. Uh, he went on the rock bed, and I was pedaling a little slower than normal. But I thought, oh, I'll, I'll try going up the bridge, knowing that even at the slow pace that I was going, it was going to be hard to get up the incline. But I did. But because I was going so slow, I really didn't have the kind of control that I would normally like to have, especially if I'm up above the ground. So this this bridge wasn't super high, maybe maybe three three and a half feet something like that but it's a skinny bridge so just a little bit wider than your bike and it quick it turns quickly to the right because i was going so slow i wasn't able to pedal and turn and stay on the bridge so my bike went straight and again normally if you're coming off a bridge you can just yank up on your on your handlebars and keep your bike relatively flat while your back tire rolls off the backside and land normally but with all of that said I was just going too slow for any of that to happen so my front tire dumped off the top of the the bridge and by the time it hit I was almost vertical and um, the the bike hit into the ground and kind of catapulted me head first off of the bike and into the ground in front of me uh, and when it happened, I mean, I, it, it, it's like when, you, when you're in a car accident or any other kind of accident, time kind of slows. So I knew I was going over. Uh, I think Vanessa had mentioned that I broke one of my hands and both hands were actually in a lot of pain. I think I tried to brace myself with my fists as my head was hitting the ground. Uh, but then I, I felt my, my neck kind of snap 
um, it went black and then I saw a flash of light. And then uh, a moment later, I was laying on my back, looking up at the blue sky, uh, pretty certain that I had done significant damage to my neck. And then the next thing that I noticed was I had no feeling in below my waist. Uh, so it was it was pretty clear without having anybody check on me that uh, I, I did something pretty bad to my neck. And um, I I called out to Asher because I was I, I could sense that he was somewhere close by um, with as much as I could. I, I couldn't yell or anything like that, but I just said, Asher, Asher, get grandma, get grandma. And at first he he thought that I just fell off and I was joking. And so he kind of chuckled and then he realized it was for real. And fortunately, Vanessa was close enough ahead of us that she heard, uh, dumped her bike in the woods and came running. And I mean, I'll let you kind of pick it up from there, mm-hmm. kind of share your perspective of that part of it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'd like to, we have yet, we have not gone back to Carver Lake, not not for, not because we're fearful or anything like that. In fact, we'll, we'll for sure go back and ride there this spring and summer. We just haven't gone back to ride again. And to kind of put the pieces together again because sometimes what you recall and what actually happens isn't always the same and so i i know that that skinny bridge and that rock pile was uh, i don't know if you said this or not but we it was right after coming up an uphill so there wasn't a lot of space to get enough speed to where you would have been going really fast to kind of just fly over that bridge anyways. Sometimes on features, if you have enough speed, you really don't need to have, you don't, you wouldn't need to maneuver your bike a whole lot because the speed just takes you over it fast enough that you don't even have to worry about turning or whatever. Um, But yeah, I don't know how far ahead I was of you. I couldn't have been that far because we weren't, we, we, we hadn't caught enough speed yet for right. me to get super far in front of you. And I think that in, in, you know, I can hear still in my head Tom's voice. It was just a real guttural voice. He wasn't screaming and he wasn't hysterical, but there was this, you know, Asher, get grandma, get grandma. I could hear the pain in the voice, but it was loud. So I think you were louder than maybe you thought you were. And Asher actually didn't come get me. I heard it. I heard it once and then I kind of, you know, I slowed down and then I heard it again. And so then, yeah, I immediately stopped and I literally just threw my bike off the trail into the woods and then just went running back. So it's a single track trail, which means we were, it's just one direction. It's not any wider than, you know, maybe two bikes. You wouldn't mm-hmm. ride two bikes wide, but that's about how right. wide it was. So if I left my bike on the trail, somebody, I would have obstructed it. So I put my bike in the woods and then, and then immediately ran back. And um, Asher was very calm. He wasn't crying. He wasn't upset. I think he understood that Tom was hurt, but, you know, he didn't have any understanding, um, at least not the understanding that Tom or I did, mm-hmm. that this was a really serious injury. There was no blood and Tom didn't lose consciousness. So, you know, those things could have been scary, especially for uh, at the time he was seven, yep. seven and a half. So it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't scary other than, you know, Tom was laying on the ground and not moving. 
and um, two two other bikers that we had passed um, at a water station came upon us and they immediately stopped to help. I, of course, was on the phone with 911 and I was trying to um, talk to the 911 operator, keep Tom talking, and then keep Asher just... Um, he didn't really need reassuring. Like I said, he wasn't scared or anything, but I just kept saying that, you know, grandpa was hurt and he was going to be okay. And somebody was going to come help us and what have you. And so the 911 operator just kept saying, ma'am, ma'am, you need to just talk to me. You need to stay focused on me. And so, um, there was a gentleman on a bike that literally rode his bike. I mean, it couldn't have been more than a foot away from Mm. Tom who was laying on the ground and not moving and you know he slowed down and he looked down on him and and at that moment Tom was saying I can't feel my legs and the guy didn't even stop and we were just like it's it's what's what's sad about that is something that like something like that you just remember and and Asher remembered that and he's like grandma why didn't that person stop to help right but we did have two amazing other bikers who did stop and um, they helped, they helped, they they blocked the trail. After that, that gentleman rolled by, I said to one of them, can you please block, block the trail? He blocked the trail. And then the other, the other biker that stopped because we were deep in the woods on a mountain bike trail. Um, there isn't really a way to, it wasn't really a way to tell them where we were, so to speak, the emergency personnel, like, they kept saying, well, where are you? And I was like, we're in the woods on a trail. I mean, it's not like there's an intersection that I can direct you to. And uh, that other biker actually left us on his bike. He walked through the woods to get out of the woods to try to find the nearest intersection um, where an ambulance could come and then he could actually help the police and the paramedics and uh, the fire department get to us. And in my mind, it seemed like it took forever, right? And after the fact, I went back and kind of looked at the phone call that I placed and how long, and then I looked at like the timestamp on some pictures that I took and realized it wasn't nearly as long as it Mm -hmm. felt for them to get there. I mean, maybe it was 25 minutes to a half an hour, but it felt like it was like an hour of us waiting for them to, to come come get Tom out of the woods. So there, it was, you know, it, it did take some effort on, on the part of the emergency people specifically to find us and then to figure out how they were going to get Tom off the ground, um, stabilize his neck, and then get him out of the woods on this single track trail that definitely wasn't wide enough for any sort of stretcher, although they brought one and. Yep. That that took a little uh, a little uh, creativity to, to get him out of there. But at any rate, um, this all this all this kind of stuff we shared on um, or I shared a lot of it on my social media, and I'm I want to take that and and put it on our our blog. Just you know, for us, number one, right. and then f- for others, you know, that experience something a a serious accident like this to just give people hope that you know you can recover from these serious accidents and and that's where you know tom's book will come in but so um yeah let's see well i I was gonna say too that like a lot of what we just shared is kind of the facts of what exactly happened and 
sometimes when you're going through that stuff, uh, you have thoughts about what the future could be, about what this really means, all of that. And that's where I think for me, sometimes being able to write one draft after another to be able to articulate what it was that I was thinking and be able to share some of the stuff that Vanessa has shared about what she was thinking in those moments. Um, I think that's part of when, when we think of personal growth or development or maturity or wisdom as we age and can reflect on the trials that we've faced in the past that help us to deal with some of the stuff that we face in the present. You know, there, there were, there were thoughts of like, as it was happening and my, my head snapped, I thought, you know, could this be the end? And you see that darkness and flash of light and, and, and then laying there knowing that I can't feel my legs. You start like, I I personally started thinking, well, what's the future going to be like if I'm in a wheelchair or if I'm confined to a bed or those kinds of things. And and it, it wasn't in a sad or morbid way of thinking. It was just this this happened it is what it is and uh you know we'll be able to work through that in part because of our faith you know we'll make the most of whatever god uh makes out of this with us and and we'll have to put in some effort so all of those things that i think sometimes get missed in the hey here's what happened uh we want to be able to share in a concise but still hopefully inspirational way in, in that book that Vanessa had mentioned so anyway there's, in, there's more in, to in, it in, than in your book just fact, in, in your well book. you'll have a you, you actually you had a part of it you will have a part of it yeah. too it is um it, it, yeah like tom said you 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 have all these thoughts so this is a very serious you know accident tom has a very serious injury and you know i wasn't crying i wasn't mm-hmm. hysterical I would like to listen to the 911 call. I was very calm. Part of that was, you know, I know it was important to stay calm for um, for Asher, but also in that situation, um, just knowing that it, it doesn't help the situation to, to be out of sorts, right. right? And in fact, when we went to meet all of the emergency personnel that helped us in that situation later in the summer they invited us to come to the fire station and meet all of them asher recalled many of their faces Mm -hmm. and even their names and um, a couple of them just said more than once they just couldn't believe how calm i was considering you know how serious the situation was and it wasn't even you know i wasn't there was no thoughts that I was entertaining. Like you just said, like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? It was more like, if this is God's plan for us, then we're going to use this to help others for sure. Right. Like, and there's been so many lessons that we've learned um, through this, how to navigate the healthcare system being one of them. (laughs) Right. But yeah, so there were just so many things we learned. And I think it, 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 I believe that anytime God brings us through any sort of circumstance like this, part of that reason is to continue to build empathy within us and then to use that to encourage and support and help others going through a similar or same situation. And so um, I just want to share 
one little piece and then I think well our our uh, puppy time <laughs> our puppy playpen time <laughs> yeah. is almost up so um I learned being Tom's caregiver and you can say that in a way where like I didn't feel like I was his caregiver per se but he did need me um more so than he needs me on today right, right. That, that those first several weeks home from the hospital the first week my my very best friend jen came from new jersey to help it took two of us <laughs> to care for tom right when all of a sudden you take a fully functioning adult your husband your spouse your partner and you have to feed them or you know make sure that they're um changing his collar and helping him shower and putting in his contact lenses and, you you know, using the bathroom. And like, he really relied on me a lot. Of course, over time, uh, that was less and less. But so as a, a, a caregiver um, or a provider, everything in your, in, you know, it's like having a baby, not that Tom was a baby, but, you know, you put yourself aside and, and your whole day, or routine revolves around that other person and it is it's tiring and it's not it's exhausting and in Tom's situation sleep was like elusive imagine wearing a hard plastic collar around your neck and being in pain and then you know trying to get comfortable and sleep and you know I I laid in bed next to him and it was just like uh, 10 minutes of sleep, 15 minutes of sleep, if it was a half hour, it was really good. But in between trying to keep him comfortable, flip him over, get up to go to the bathroom, mm -hmm. you know, it was like we had a lot of laughs at night, actually, because we were up and on at night. But at any rate, I know that there are people that do this every single day. And so it gave me a very good and healthy perspective of what it's like to be a caregiver for somebody you love when they are, you know, very dependent on you. And what are ways that you can bless them? And so I share this um, to just maybe, you know, help somebody out there understand that when somebody is in a crisis situation, their brain doesn't allow them to think of ways that others can help. And mm -hmm. most people will reach out and say, what can I do to help? How can I help? Because people are kind and caring and generous and they want to help. But when you're in that, in that crisis moment or in that situation, your, your brain just doesn't even allow you to say, actually, what you could do for me is this. Mm -hmm. And so things that were helpful, but I couldn't say, you know, this is what I needed. Um, um, like I had zero groceries in the house because that day that we left to go mountain biking, we weren't planning to not come home, right? right. So we weren't planning to be at the hospital. And so when I came home after 12 hours at the hospital and realized there was no food in the refrigerator, the last thing that I wanted to do was to go right to the grocery store. So taking initiative and just sending a meal, which some mm -hmm. of our friends did without saying, what can I do for you? Um, just taking initiative and just doing it. Our neighbors just came over and mowed our lawn. They didn't wait for us to ask or they didn't say, what can we do? Mm -hmm. They just came over and did it. You know, so, and 
I realize that not everybody has the gift to do this, but being able to anticipate somebody's needs and just taking the initiative goes such a long way when you're in a crisis situation and your brain can't even think about yeah. what it is that possibly somebody could do to help, yeah. right? So we had that opportunity when one of our neighbors experienced a serious health complication this, um, this past winter. And I was sending just little, oh gosh, I'm getting teary-eyed again, just some little messages to his wife because he had some serious health issues and there was the risk of him losing his life. And I remember being in the hospital having these thoughts about Tom. And I thought, you know, if I'm thinking this way, other people think the same. And so I was able to just Mm -hmm. send her little words of encouragement because... I was, you know, in a similar situation not that long ago. And so I don't know them. We don't know them really well. They're new neighbors. And I kind of was like, I second guessed myself a few times, but then I kept thinking, no, I don't, I'm going to send her these words of encouragement, whether I know her really well or not, because I, uh, I know that I would want to, I would have wanted to hear that um, in those first several days of Tom being in the hospital and, and what have you. So I think we'll, we'll end it there. We can talk more um, in future podcasts about the specifics of, of the injury and other lessons that we've kind of learned uh, along the way. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, what, what uh, you know, how this affected us you know, not just you physically, but, you know, how this affected us, right. you know, in our in our everyday life, in our marriage and relationship and what have you. So if if you want to keep talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. We can. Yeah. Maybe it'll help as you as you think back about, you know, writing your book and what have you. So, yeah. yeah. OK. Anything else you want to add? No. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> I'll get teary eyed, too. So, <laughs> well, and actually, I will. I will. We got five more minutes. <laughs> Um, Tom is very stoic. Um, that's just part of how God made him. And it's taken me, we've been married for almost 20 years time, you know, to learn that it's not that Tom doesn't have feelings. He definitely has feelings. Um, he just doesn't wear them on his sleeve. Like, uh, like I do. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Although if we count the number of tears that were shed when we put our dog to sleep, I think, I think Tom filled the bucket. Yeah, I won. Yeah. Tom Tom definitely won that. But Now I totally lost what I was saying. I can't even remember. Oh, now I know what I remember. Um, when Tom was in those early stages of recovery, he was in such a vulner- vulnerable state. Um, and he was much more um, teary-eyed. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And, and um, he kept saying... Is there estrogen in my in some of these medicines that they have me on, or is is it making my suppressing my testosterone, or what? Because yeah. he just had such a high level of appreciation for for the care that he was mm-hmm. getting, and and all of the amazing things that people were doing for us, and words that yep. they were sharing, and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, there was just a softness to you, and I think part of it is because you just were so fragile <laughs> at the time, but. Uh, that that softness slowly <laughs> went away, <laughs> and he's back to 
regular old tub (laughs) right yeah i think so yeah so uh maybe i'll get you to cry a little bit more on this podcast you might you might (laughs) all right so until next time thanks for tuning in thanks for tuning in